When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm your host, Eric Jankowski, and in honor of Father's Day, this week our stories are all about dads. I'm a dad, I've got two boys, and as a card-carrying dad, I love puns. That wordplay that you may know as dad jokes. Consequently, it makes total sense that Misha would make some big promises about my dad jokes when she hosted last week. Thank you, Misha, for believing in me. But as a father and as a son, I also know that being a dad is no joke. My dad, for example, gave up his dream of studying astrophysics after being hit by a bus. Because after he came out of the coma, math wasn't as easy as it used to be. So he settled on diagnostic neuroradiology setting the family standard that a traumatic brain injury and a short leg are no excuse to not become a doctor. Lucky for me, at least he's an abysmal teacher. Love you, Dad. And uh, trying to understand how someone so brilliant couldn't explain things to me simply has informed much of my own work as an educator. It's because of my dad uh, that I try to help others help others. And this paternal theme of helping we'll hear across today's stories. Our first story is from Story Collider's board member, Ken Haller. It was recorded at the Public Media Commons in St. Louis in February this year. The theme that night was variables. The young father, his eyes downcast, sat across from me in the exam room. On his lap sat his six-month-old daughter, brightly dressed, whom he gently bounced on his left knee. His son, Malik, five years old, was standing by the exam table in an exam gown. He was the one who was there actually for his, uh, his checkup. I said to the father, I'm Dr. Haller. So you're, you're Malik's dad? Yeah, he said, still looking at the floor. Uh, and who's this? I said, pointing to the baby. Um, it's my daughter. She's coming in in a couple of weeks for her checkup. Okay, great. Anyone else here to help you with them? Uh, their mother? <sighs> their mother is not involved, and it's just better that way. And that's kind of a big deal. I needed to be silent for a moment. And I got to tell you, as a doctor, silence can sometimes seem like the enemy because we have so much information we have to get and give, and we have so little time to do it. But patients don't like silence either, so I wanted to see what he might say. 
Yeah, and it's getting to be a problem because I have this job and it's part time and it's just enough for me to make enough money to pay the rent and feed these kids. But if I don't have some place for the kids to go during the day, I lose the job. And if I lose the job, then I lose the kids, which was a lot bigger. And how do you respond to that? Now, I, I have been a primary care pediatrician for 40 years, and I've been on faculty at SLU Med School for 25, but my answer came from a completely different place. I'm also uh, an actor, uh, and I've done musicals and dramas and improv. And the key, uh, the key rule, the cardinal rule of improvisational theater is the yes and response. This means that in an improv situation, every response from, from one of the actors has to take a form where they agree with some part of what's been going on to add to the scene and to develop character and flesh out the entire scene. What I might have said in that situation is something vaguely compassionate uh, and really easy, like... Uh, yeah, that's tough. I, I, you know, I know how you feel. And he would have taken one look at me and said, you're full of crap. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, what I finally said was, you know, I've never been in a situation like that. I cannot imagine how stressful that must be. Finally, he looked up and looked at me, really looked at me and said, yeah, it really is. About 15 years ago, at uh, a couple of researchers at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, wrote a paper called Healing Skills for Medical Practice. And what they did was they surveyed the community to find out who people felt the best doctors were. And they interviewed these folks. They got a list of about 50 people, and they found out that these people had certain aspects in common, that they, were, that they took time to listen to patients that they formulated care plans with patients rather than for patients, that they found something to like or love about the person across from them, that they, were, that they were dependable and trustworthy. What's interesting is that none of these aspects had anything to do with medical knowledge or with procedural skill. Now those things, you know, are, are important, but, and when I, when I tell learners about this study, I tell them that doesn't mean you don't need to know your stuff or know how to do stuff. It's just that that's what will make you an adequate physician, a good physician, a, a board-certified physician. But these things, these communication skills, these interpersonal skills, that's what will make you an outstanding physician and a true healer. So with all this going on, about a dozen years ago, I decided to create a, a, a course, an elective course for first-year medical students called Acting Like a Doctor. And so each semester I offer this course, and it's six three-hour seminars, and I get up to 10 students per, se uh, per semester. And what we do is we spend that time using the skills of acting, and particularly improvisational theater, to help them become more mindful, empathetic physicians. And the thing that really struck me as I was developing this course and going on with it is there are really three aspects to this that it boils down to. The yes and response is just the first and maybe the most important. The second is reading the room. Now all of us come up here, we're reading the room. It's like, where are these people at? Is this a hot room or a cold room? Are they on my side? Or did they just, did some friend say, I got a ticket to Story Collider, come with me. And like, I don't know what that is, sure I'll go. <laughs> And frankly, being a doctor walking into an exam room is really not that much different. 
So when I walked into that room and I saw, I saw that dad looking down at the floor, I saw this kid looking down at the floor, separated in space and in emotion and in spirit, I knew that I had to be a little bit mindful of that. So rather than just walking in with my usual abulian, hi, I'm Dr. Howlers, how's everyone doing today? I walked in quietly and I walked over to Malik and I put out my hand and I said, hi, I'm Dr. Haller. Are you Malik? He kept looking at the floor. He didn't say anything. He didn't shake my hand. So I sat down across from dad and started our conversation. A few minutes later, when we had gotten to that point where he told me about the stresses he was under, I said, um, you know, I've, we do have a social worker here. When we're done, would it be okay if I had her come in and talk to you? Maybe she can find someplace for the kids to go during the day so you can keep your job. He thought about it for a minute and was like, yeah, okay, okay, that should be fine. I said, okay, good, good. Well, let's, let's talk about Malik then. What does he do well? I don't think he does anything well. I'm like, I was stunned. I'm like, dude, he's standing right there. How can you say that? But then I had to think, why would he say something like that? And this is the third thing that I've learned that is really important. And that is when an actor has a script, it's the key line that the character has that reveals who they are. Now, I've been really lucky over the years. I've gotten to play some really cool roles. I played, I played Herr Schultz in Cabaret. I played Herbie in Gypsy. I played Claude in Hair. Yeah, I did the nude scene. That was many years ago. <laughs> I even got to play the title character as well as six other characters in a three-actor version of the Scottish play. That was awesome, and that's a whole other story. At any rate, um, I had to wonder, where did this come from? Why would he say that? He obviously loved his son. And then I thought, maybe that's what he's heard his whole life. Maybe what he had heard is, what's wrong with you? What's the matter with you? You'll never amount to anything. Can't you do anything right? And now, despite his love for his son, he was passing that on to him. Now, at Cardinal Glennon, our clinic is part of a, a nationwide uh, organization called Reach Out and Read. You familiar with it? Okay, anyway, Reach Out and Read is an organization where kids who come in for their well-child visit uh, between six months and five years, they get a free... Um, a free children's book that's age appropriate to emphasize the importance of reading and of reading together. So the book that day was Margaret Wise Brown's book, Good Night Moon, one of my favorite books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Applause for Good Night Moon. <laughs> <laughs> Illustrations by Clement Hurd. Anyway, um, so I said to Dad, I said, well let's, well, let's see what he knows. Why don't you show him this book? Okay. So he opens the book and Malik starts looking at it. His father's pointing at stuff. Malik's going, mice, bunny, fireplace, moon, cow, green, orange. And his father's looking at him like, whoa. At this point, I suggested to his dad, you know, you're the most important person in his life. I say, no, no, I'm not. Like, who's more important than you? You make sure he's fed. You provide him a home. You love him. What you say to him now is going to make him the man he's going to become. 
And that's when he gave me a yes and response. He nodded. He smiled. Malik smiled. We all smiled. I found birds in his ears. We did the whole shtick. We had a great time. Malik looked great. I went, I, I wrapped things up. I went to find the social worker and I hoped for the best. A couple of weeks later, I was walking through the waiting room and I, I heard some guy say, hey, Dr. Heller. And I looked over and there was someone standing there holding a baby, waving at me, hand on his hip like this, Superman pose. <laughs> I didn't recognize him at first, but it was Malik's dad. He looked so different. And I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, he goes, uh, good. I said, what are you doing here? He goes, it's her checkup today. Oh, that's right, that's right, six months, yeah, okay. He goes, listen, I gotta tell you, that social worker really helped us out. She's in daycare, he's in preschool, I get to keep my job, and I'm like, yay, social worker. <laughs> I said, I'm really glad to hear that. Well, listen, I I'll, see you, I'll see you in the room in a couple of minutes. He goes, I gotta tell you one more thing. I've been reading Malik that book every night. He's a really smart kid. Now there's this, this saying that I've heard, and it's attributed to a lot of people. Life is not a dress rehearsal. I believe completely the opposite. I believe that life is nothing but a dress rehearsal. It's a continuous improv full of choices and variables that never ends. Every time I leave an exam room, I think, how can I tweak that for next time? After four decades, I still do that. Maybe that's why what I do is called medical practice. But I know that if we really do it with mindfulness, if we allow ourselves to say yes and, and allow other people to say yes and back to us, that maybe, if we're lucky, we might just get it right. Thank you. That was Ken Haller. Ken is a professor of pediatrics at the St. Louis University School of Medicine and Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. He is a frequent spokesperson in local and national media on the healthcare needs of children and adolescents. Ken is also an accomplished actor, produced playwright, and acclaimed cabaret performer. In 2015, he was named Best St. Louis Cabaret Performer by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and he has taken his one-person shows to New York, Chicago, Denver, and San Francisco. Ken's board service is also exceptional, including the Arts and Education Council of Greater St. Louis, the St. Louis University Library Associates, the Gateway Media Literacy Project, Missouri Foundation for Health, the Missouri Chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, PROMO, Missouri Statewide LGBTQ Civil Rights Organization, the Gateway Men's Chorus, St. Louis's Gay Men's Chorus, and GLMA, the National Organization of LGBT Healthcare Professionals. And he is president of the St. Louis Pediatric Society. Okay, before we continue with today's episode, a couple reminders. We have shows coming up in New York, D.C., and Boston this summer. To get tickets or find out more, visit storycollider.org tickets. And if you'd like to know more about our shows or how to bring a Story Collider show to your community or workplace, check out storycollider.org shows. If you would like to learn more about how to tell a science story, check out storycollider.org education. We offer private workshops both online and in person for groups, and we offer public courses for individuals online as well. You can follow us on social media for more updates and cool behind-the-story content. 
We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Find us at Story Collider. And finally, if you're a fan of this podcast, and if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and to whom it belongs, please consider donating to The Story Collider at storycollider.org donate. You can also sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com slash thestorycollider. Our Patreon supporters receive an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. And I'm also so grateful to my kids, specifically Miles, who is five, and Oliver, who is eight, who are now creating their own puns, their own dad jokes. And I am so proud to share this joke created by Oliver earlier this year. Okay, are you ready? What continent are pancakes from? What continent are pancakes from? They're syrupian. Oh, I love it so much. A dad joke that might never have been had I not become a dad. It fills my heart. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And our second story might fill your heart, and it comes to us from Michaela Jamison. It was recorded at Smitty's Bar in Washington, D.C. in September 2022. The theme that night was family. I also have a story about dads. Years ago, I was at home with my dad watching a movie. I don't remember which one, but if it had been his choice, it was either Saving Private Ryan or Armageddon, dad classics, when all of a sudden I had this feeling of like doom coming over me. Just minutes before I had asked my dad, you know, pass the popcorn so I can mix it with the snow caps candy, which you really should try. And then suddenly it's like the walls were closing in and my heart was racing out of my chest and I had the terrible sensation that I was gonna have a bathroom emergency right there on the couch. And I hysterically described all of this to my dad. And he jumped into action. 
and he was trying to calm me down and he was saying soothing things and trying to get me to regulate my breathing and he gave me an aspirin because he thought I was having a heart attack. I was like 19. <laughs> and it was so bad that I went to the hospital. And I had the humbling experience of getting there just as all of these symptoms subsided. Kind of like when you take your car to the shop and that's when the noise stops, right? So later I debriefed with my dad and he wasn't making me feel weird about it. It wasn't like a big thing. He just, he didn't get it. He's like, we were, we were chilling. We were fine. Everything was good. And then suddenly this happened. And I said, I didn't understand it either. They told me at the hospital I had a panic attack, but I didn't understand how I could have been in this calm moment in this supportive space and then suddenly feel all this terror. It wasn't until later in college that I started understanding my own mental health a little bit more and understanding that even if I wasn't having these really bad panic attacks, I was having really bad anxiety all the time. I kind of never felt calm, brain always racing at a thousand miles an hour. I was always paranoid about like my health and my safety. And I was having a really terrible experience being like marooned in college, feeling like nobody else was really talking about this yet. Like I feel like they are now. So at some point I called my parents and I'd wanted to talk to my dad about this. And I said, I don't really know what's wrong with me. I just feel like I have this anxiety all the time. And I was using that word kind of for the first time. It was like a new word in my lexicon. And my parents and my dad, especially to their credit, were so cool about it. They just said, okay, next time you come home, we're gonna talk about this like a family. We're gonna figure out how to get you help and calm you down. I've had friends of mine say that when they're similarly like boomer age parents have heard about these mental health struggles, my friends have always not always gotten like the best feedback. They'll say things like, what are you anxious about? Like, just calm down. <laughs> Thanks, I'm cured, right? <laughs> calm down. You're depressed? Depressed about what? Didn't I give you a good life? <laughs> so they don't really get it. But I wasn't worried about that with my dad in particular because he's always been really understanding when I've talked to him about my issues with my mental health. And when I talked to him about this anxiety I was feeling, I said, I, felt, I feel like I'm not in the driver's seat anymore. I feel like my brain has a brain of its own. Or whatever this disorder is, whatever it is I'm dealing with with my own health and in my body, that's what's in control and I'm not. And he kind of nodded and I could see that he really understood this. And so my dad has bipolar disorder. He has ADHD. He's been medicated for both of those things for as long as I can remember. He is a recovering alcoholic of more than 20 years. And his father, my grandfather, had schizophrenia. So there's just a lot of potential genetic concerns on that side of the family. And that is the Irish side. The other side's Italian. So on top of all of this, we just have a lot of like chaotic energies in the household anyway. <laughs> and even though my dad had these issues with his health and he never talked about it with any shame, he was very open about all of this, he didn't talk about anxiety. He didn't talk about having anxiety attacks. He didn't really get what was happening when I had mine. But when I was having issues, I could talk to him and know that he would understand and just be an ear to hear me. He would offer me that support. So in October 2020, my dad was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease when he was 61. 
terrible year. And at this point, he is still very much the person I've always known. He knows who he is. He knows who we are. He can do activities of daily living by himself. It's just the short-term memory, very forgetful. Executive functioning, not great. He can't like juggle a lot of tasks. And this is very frustrating to him, of course, very overwhelming, very sad. <clears throat> so one time in, or about a year ago, I went home to visit my dad because the name of the game right now is just know that there's gonna be bad days, but try to increase the good days and value the good days. So we're hanging out and we're in the garage and I ask him how he's feeling in general. And he starts to cry, which is a very hard thing to see, but it's also something I'm kind of glad he lets me see because my dad, Never had any of this like real men don't cry nonsense when I was growing up. There wasn't any of this macho energy. It was very like, be okay with your emotions. Make a career out of writing about them if you need to. Um, so he was always very like sensitive and emotional and had no shame about that. And since I am also a sensitive, emotional person, it made me feel very much at home in my own family. So we talked about how he was feeling and he said, I know, I just, I keep thinking about this diagnosis and I'm thinking about the future and I'm so stressed and I'm walking around with this tension. I can feel it in my body and I just, I just have this anxiety. And so he said it for the first time. That's the first time I ever heard him use the word much like I had all those years ago. And so I got to have the anxiety talk with my dad. And this was my time to shine. I was like, dad, we got coping strategies. We got breathing exercises. Let's talk about therapy, meds, podcasts. You want books? I got so many books. <laughs> and in this moment, I could watch, I just saw this relief like on his face. I kind of felt like I saw his shoulders relax and he just calmed. And what a gift that was to see that relief, that relief that I had experienced back when he helped get me into group therapy when I was in college, or now when I talk to friends of mine who are going through the same kind of mental health stuff. And that relief is the relief of knowing you're not alone and the thing that you're going through has a name and it's very common and you're not crazy. And so seeing him understand those things was really a very special moment. And also that day standing there in that garage with my dad, I felt like something else was happening. And it was like this torch was being passed to me. And I was assuming this new role in my family. Years before, I'm, I think I imagined that I would take it on. And that role is being more of a caregiver. Like he had cared for me for so many years. He raised me. I was raised in this wonderful supportive space and he was instrumental to that. And now he needs me to be understanding and empathetic and a shoulder literally to cry on. And I feel very confident as hard as this is and as long a road as I know this will be, I feel very confident that I can be that supportive, empathetic, understanding, loving person because my father taught me how to do that. Thank you. That was Michaela Jamison. Michaela is the creator and the producer of The Body Show, a live storytelling show that debuted at the Capitol Fringe Festival in July 2022 
and was a Best of Fringe pick by DC Theater Arts. She also publishes the blog slash newsletter Bodytype, bodytype.substack.com, about navigating body image in today's world. The Story Collider is so grateful to Ken and Michaela for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful to the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider, with help from managing producer Misha Gajewski and senior podcast editor Jen Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including managing director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, science advisory fellow Edith Gonzalez, and operations manager Lindsay Cooper, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Sam Lyons and Gabe Montesanti, and by Shane Hanlon and Mariam Zeringhalam, respectively. Our theme music is by Ghost. Next week, science journalist Catherine Wu will be hosting a special episode that delves into the science of psychics, which you already knew if you are a psychic. For the rest of us, you won't want to miss it. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.